This week, we begin our new season into surgery and anesthesia. Unlike last season, I don't think there's any good singular disease I can illustrate that is fixed by surgery. Surgery is, of course, used in the treatment of nearly limitless ailments, and so I'll instead go over the state of surgery prior to the 19th century in more broad strokes. Let's start with prehistory, before even the dawn of writing. Humans have probably been attempting surgery as best we can for all of our history. Survival in the wilderness is pretty dangerous, and tending to wounds is therefore of the utmost importance. What comes naturally to us is effective for really simple wounds. Clean the wound, apply pressure, and keep it covered. You probably know that much from basic first aid, and even in our pampered modern lives, basically everyone has had to treat a minor cut or scrape. But humans are, uh, interesting creatures, and so we attempted many procedures beyond these simple tenets, even before we had, frankly, any idea what we were doing. History is filled with all sorts of ill-advised surgical treatments. Archaeologists have found 11,000-year-old skulls with holes in them, clearly made by rudimentary tools, and probably an attempt to heal sick individuals. That practice persisted for a long time, but probably didn't do a lot of good most of the time. Peruvian skeletons, dated to 800 AD, showed drilled holes on the leg bones, probably with similar intent to treatments on skulls. In the 1500s, one practice was using boiling oil and pouring it in gunshot wounds in order to treat them. As you can imagine, that doesn't go particularly well. We did correctly figure out some stuff too, though. We're not complete idiots after all. There are several other simple procedures that we do to this very day, which were probably also discovered early on. The first of these is draining pus, which has been practiced for most of history. Pus refers to a thick liquid made of white blood cells, germs, and cellular debris, which is caused by infection and can gather in a pocket known as an abscess. Draining pus from an abscess can help relieve symptoms like pain, prevent further infections, and helps to physically remove a bunch of the bacteria. All that is required to drain pus is a sharp object to pierce the abscess and then clean up to physically remove what comes out. Relatively straightforward, but effective, and with relatively little risk of complications. Another procedure we figured out early on is fixing fractures, which were probably common and often possible to do at least decently without really complex tools. You may have found out yourself, but it's not too hard to break a bone or dislocate a joint, even in our modern lives. Just taking a fall the wrong way can break something, especially if your bones aren't super strong, and fractures have almost certainly been common throughout all of human existence. The process for fixing it is pretty straightforward. You put any bones back where they should be, you keep them there, and then let the healing process happen. With more complex bones or serious breaks, or especially where bones may be protruding through the skin, that's not always possible without modern tools and surgery. But with less complicated fractures or really minor ones, you can pretty much set it and forget it as far as treatment goes, and just let it heal over several months. If you've broken a bone in any minor way before, this probably makes sense to you. Most likely, your treatment didn't require any surgery, just an inspection, a cast to hold the bone in place, and rest to heal up. But all these procedures are still really rudimentary compared to what actual surgery is. We don't really think about it this way, but instead of just healing a wound, for example, like they would have done long ago, you purposefully make a wound that would normally be lethal to the person in the hopes of treating something else. Of course, if you don't know what you're doing, there's massive risk. But we've been performing operations for a long time, even if they are ineffectual or unnecessary. 
In the 16th century, most surgeries were straightforward and limited. Most things treated by surgeons until the 19th century would have fallen under the basic procedures that we've discussed, namely wounds, infections, and fractures. On top of that, they might remove growths or tumors, or perform bloodletting. Bloodletting is exactly what it sounds like, and you've probably heard of it before, where the surgeon opens up a wound to purposefully bleed the patient. Usually that was done because of a belief in the four humors, a belief system that the body had to have balance between blood, mucus, black bile, and yellow bile, which is, of course, utter nonsense. Bloodletting was used to treat basically everything, and it probably just did nothing. In fact, it probably did active harm in most of those instances, especially when used, for example, as a treatment for, say, bleeding, which, if you'll notice, is just making it worse. Occasionally, surgeons would try something more complicated too, like maybe removing varicose veins, or even kidney and bladder stones, which you may also remember from our first bonus episode. In the 18th century, an operating room, or maybe rather area, since there's no guarantee of a room, would have been very different from what we expect. There would be a lot of screaming, a lot of blood everywhere, and a lot of bad smells. Results were, not surprisingly, a lot worse than today, too. It used to be completely normal that after an operation, pus would leak from the wound, and so wounds had to be left open so that the pus could get out. Recall that pus comes for infection, so yeah, that's not a great sign. In order to keep said wounds open, we also didn't always stitch up wounds immediately. You would just have an open cut for a while until you got better. Many surgeries were also public spectacle, with surgeons and students watching, yes, for educational purposes, but also the general public, with just a keen and morbid interest in the horror of surgery. Some texts would actually describe locations as operating theaters, because that's literally what they were. Places for anyone to come and observe a live surgery for, uh, I guess, entertainment. It was only in the 19th century that we start to see something close to modern surgery emerge at all. There are more or less three things that separate surgeries of old from our modern understanding of surgery. Standardization, excruciating pain, and high risk of death. Let's start with standardization and get it out of the way, because it's relatively boring. And it starts to happen first. Prior to this time, surgeons became surgeons by apprenticeship, working under an existing surgeon until they learned enough to set out on their own or whenever their master said they were ready to go. This has some practical advantages in terms of training, but it also means that the quality of any individual surgeon can vary wildly. If the master, for example, was a real crappy surgeon, the apprentice probably would also end up being a pretty crappy surgeon. This, however, would begin to change. In 1815, the Society of Apothecaries in England and Wales set a standard of education required before an apothecary could take a qualifying examination. Apothecaries were kind of like pharmacists today, making drugs, but they also performed surgery on the side. First, one needed an apprenticeship of five years, and then two courses of anatomy and physiology, two courses on medicine, and finally must have walked through a recognized hospital for at least six months. Like I mentioned earlier, surgery was primarily a trade at this time, and so there were actually a lot of different people performing surgery, and many of them were not dedicated surgeons. However, the Royal College of Surgeons, who were more or less actually dedicated surgeons, did not want to be outdone by the apothecaries, and so they adapted many of the same qualifications in order to try to stay relevant. This started a kind of arms race of standardization among the many different professionals who performed surgery. Slowly but surely, we saw these requirements increase over time, 
Eventually, they did away with apprenticeships entirely, replaced by training at dedicated institutions, which is what we're used to today. Nowadays, surgeons, of course, go to medical school, and then they go and get their specializations, and they work as a resident, and it's all generally pretty standard. The next big difference was the pain of surgery, which unfortunately is not to be addressed for some time, and we'll come back to that later, like next episode. But at this time, surgery is incredibly painful. Amputation was a common major surgery, usually in response to severe injuries from road accidents or from tuberculosis infections afflicting bone. Can you imagine having a limb cut off with no anesthesia? Because frankly, I'd rather not. Thus, speed was valued more in surgeons of earlier times in order to reduce the time that the patient had to be in agony. You may recall from our bonus episode on Robert Liston. There are some wild stories of just how fast surgeons got. In the 18th century, William Chesselden removed a bladder stone in less than a minute, and supposedly some surgeons could get a stone out in 24 seconds flat. Astley Cooper, another famous surgeon, amputated a leg through the hip joint in 20 minutes, which was the first time that was ever done. A decade later, James Syme did it in a little over a minute as the technique was refined. And of course, if you've been listening to our bonus episodes, you know about Robert Liston's feats too. To be fair, these times don't include stopping bleeding or stitching, just the cutting, but cutting someone's leg off in one minute is still absurdly fast, especially when they're struggling and screaming all the while. Not all surgeries were so fast, especially new or more complex ones, like for example removing parts of the jaw, or removing specific parts of bones as opposed to just cutting off an entire limb, but many surgeries were that fast. Surgeons were incredible people, requiring a good understanding of anatomy, great dexterity, and decisiveness in order to make all of this happen. On top of that, they had to be sympathetic in order to maintain good bedside manner, yet be able to ignore a patient's outward signs of suffering, like screaming during the surgery. And still on top of that, they had to be pretty strong, since surgery is physically taxing work. Robert Liston was once described as having the arms and hands of Hercules, great upper body strength being vital to speedy surgery. Finally, the last thing that we'll need to tackle before this starts to look anything like modern surgery is the high risk of death. This is something that will also slowly but surely be improved over our episodes. As I mentioned, amputation's a common major surgery of the time. It also had about a 40% mortality rate, often on account of infections. That's a very high number, no surprise for such a major operation before we had any newer technology, but across the board, mortality was still much higher than it is today. The best surgeons of the time lost about 10% of patients with major operations, but a more typical number might be 1 in 4, and in general mortality varied wildly from place to place and from time to time. Most hospitals today are in the low single digits at maximum, and of course perform a far wider array of surgeries than was done in earlier times. Any hospital with even 10% mortality rates today would undoubtedly be under investigation and probably buried in lawsuits. So now you know how surgery was prior to many of the advancements that make today's operations possible. From here on out, let's set about correcting the many problems present in older surgery until it's something recognizable to us. Next week, we'll set about fixing the painful aspect of surgery with our first forays into anesthetic technologies. As per usual, thanks to my editor Jojo Tang, Angie Lee for our cover art, and Muse Open for our intro and outro music. Thanks for listening.